We've got a couple things that, uh, that I'm writing or have written that are out there. I, I pour my heart into these uh, devotionals. Um, and we're just getting started with a new set of them, 40 Days of Wow. If you haven't signed up yet, I've been blown away by, the, by how many have, by the way, so thank you. If you haven't yet, this is the only way to, to get these devotionals in your inbox for 40 days between now and January, bit.ly slash 40 days of wow. If you're watching online, go to bit.ly slash 40 days of wow now and just give us your email address and you'll just get these 40 emails. Uh, two of them, the introduction and day one went out this past week and we'll be doing that all week this week. So... Um, also, uh, this little book, 40 Days of Doubt, my first book, is available in the lobby today. If you weren't here last week, we rolled it out last week. This is early. It's not supposed to be out. It's not going to be out officially until December the 4th. So y'all get a little head start on it. And again, thank you for everybody that's bought the book. It's um, meant the world to me to see you buying it and taking it home or giving it away. Somebody here at the story owns a brewery here in Houston um, and runs a brewery called Spindle Tap. And uh, he called me on Wednesday as I was driving up to Northeast Texas to spend Thanksgiving with my family. And he said, Eric, I need 100 copies of 40 Days of Doubt. And I was like, well, let me turn this car around and uh, <laughs> get them to you. Because he needed them the same day. I didn't actually turn around. Somebody delivered them for me. And uh, he wanted to give a copy of this little de uh, devotional that has 40 questions that skeptics ask about belief in God and about Jesus um, to all of his employees. And so um, I hope that makes a meaningful gift for them. And I think God can use resources like this to change um, lives. So this is available in the coffee shop. I thought I would um, actually open today's message by uh, reading a little excerpt um, because it really does uh, resonate with what we're talking about today in this part of this series, 40 Days of Wow. Um, first of all, the first three words in the book <laughs> are... Atheism makes sense. If that gives you any indication as to where I'm coming from with this, I really don't come at this, I hope, from a very trite or holier-than-thou perspective. I think people have their reasons for believing or not believing what they, what they do. And so um, I try to be respectful of people's beliefs while also entering into this honest dialogue throughout this book. But in day three, I ask the question, um, why does God need to be worshipped? And I kind of make the point that many skeptics would make that a God who craves worship would seem to be a narcissist. And so why does God crave worship like this? And this is part of my response. This is just a quote from the book. Um, it says, I once attended a major concert featuring a premier female singer-songwriter. I don't want to name drop or anything. So let's just say she's gorgeous and it caused bad blood between my wife and me when I look at her. Her music <laughs> fills a blank space in my heart beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, and I became so entranced during her show that I had to shake it off. And remember, I'm a grown man and not 22. <clears throat> it was Taylor Swift, you guys. Stop judging me. <laughs> When she appeared on stage engulfed in smoke and surrounded by dancers and fireworks, it was transcendent. Everyone knew all the words, so we sang every song together. We laughed, we cried, we raised our iPhones to the sky. We <laughs> lifted our hands in praise. It was maybe the best worship service I've ever been to. 
It was right up there with that NFL game I attended where in preparation for the oh, NFL playoff game I attended, very important distinction, where in preparation for the contest, 70,000 men sought the favor of their gods by offering up countless cows, swine, and birds to the heavens. And in the hours that followed, we all chanted, cheered, and wept tears of joy when the evil raiders were vanquished at last by our hometown heroes, the only playoff game the only playoff win in Houston Texans history, I was there. So I left that game sure of two things. First, nothing compares to Texas barbecue. Amen. And second, everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. Religious or not, Christian or not, everybody worships. I want to tell you about a friend of mine uh, named, uh, let's say his name is LJ. He goes to church here, so I don't want you to know who he is. Uh, I didn't get his permission to share what I'm about to share with you. So uh, LJ is uh, the most effervescent, bubbly, cheerful person you'll ever meet. He is the kind of person that when you walk into a room and he's there, no matter what room it is, you're a little happier to be there. If he's there, like you could walk into the DMV and see LJ and you're happy all of a sudden (laughs) you have somebody like that in your life. I hope that you do. LJ is, uh, the only way I know to describe him is if they somehow managed to clone a person using, uh, DNA from both Billy Graham and Jackie Chan. Like, like that would be LJ. That would be him. If you can imagine such a person, he's got a passion for God and the word of God. And he's got passion for the Bible, like Reverend Graham. He's got, uh, you know, uh, just a childlike spirit, like Jackie Chan, some ninja moves, maybe, I don't know, but definitely got just that infectious smile that uh, Jackie Chan has. And (laughs) it's a silly, silly comparison, but that's what I think of because that's just the kind of guy that he is. Um, whatever uh, you meet him, you might be overwhelmed by him, especially if you're a cynical person. If you struggle with cynicism like I do, and you just don't really believe that there's really people like this in the world. Or if someone acts like that, you believe what? They're faking. They're a fraud or they're trying to sell you something. Because you've bought cars from guys like that. Or insurance or whatever. And they seem so charming until the transaction was done. And then they weren't charming anymore. And it might seem to you that that's how LJ is. But you'd be wrong. That's genuinely who he is. This is the guy who showed up on a Sunday morning with a thousand water balloons in his hand. Not filled up, but just still in the bag. A thousand water balloons, gave them to my kids because he said, we're all a little too uptight on Sundays. We need to go and have some fun this afternoon. Who does that? Who brings water balloons to the church for the preacher's family? Like that takes some premeditated thought, you know? Like that doesn't just come on a whim. He had to go buy those things and, and bring them. It's just, it's just who he is. And you might think that somebody like that is, is shallow, and you'd be wrong again. LJ is uh, as profound and biblically grounded a person as, as we have. He, he knows more scripture by heart than the rest of us put together, probably. You, you might think that he doesn't have it all together. You might think he's a, 
got a screw loose or something. You might be right a little bit, I don't know, but you're definitely not entirely right. I mean, this man, after all, is an entirely successful architect who runs a multi-million dollar firm locally. He's got a good life. He's got a good head on his shoulders. This is who he is. So what is it that makes him special, that sets him apart? Well, what it is is just this choice that he's made to live with a sense of awe and wonder. No matter what, he lives with awe and wonder. He gets up in the morning and he says, wow, no matter what. And that's not something that comes naturally to a person. You might think it's a personality trait, something you're born with. That's not the case. Living with that sense of wonder and awe is very much a choice that a person makes. Listen, years ago, that's not even who LJ was. If you had met him years ago, you would have met a volatile, up and down, angry, mercurial person who made more enemies than friends. He was not the person you walked in a room and saw and thought, oh, I'm happier now. No, that's not who he was then. It's who he is now. And what is the difference between who he was then and who he is now? LJ would tell you that it's gratitude. It was appropriate. We just had Thanksgiving and all that. We were grateful for a day and then we moved on. But like, we, we, we should be more grateful. Gratitude is a powerful spiritual discipline. And when you choose to be grateful for what you've been given, everything changes. This is obvious to most of us. We know this is true. It's harder to do than it is to say. But LJ, he says, overnight almost, it occurred to him how good God has been to him always. How everything he's been given, his firm, his family, the love in his heart, forgiveness, every good gift is a gift from God. And he has lived most of his life ungrateful, and he has chosen then to be grateful now. And what sets LJ apart now from who he used to be, what sets him apart now from who most of us are today, is that choice. To be grateful and mindful of everything we've been given, instead of living with a sense of entitlement, as though we have earned what we've been given somehow, or as though we haven't been given enough because someone else we know has been given more than us. You know, the stuff that we get into that's just so toxic for our souls. Making the choice to live with childlike wonder and gratitude is the difference. Now, um, this is what we're talking about with this series, uh, 40 Days of Wow, because uh, I believe that our souls are in danger whenever we start saying whatever more than we say wow. And I'm afraid many of us are tempted to say whatever more than we say wow. You know what I mean when I say whatever? Whatever. You ever say that? Anyone ever? Whatever, man. I'm just, whatever. It is what it is. That's another one we say. I am who I am. People never change. Men never change. Women never change. <laughs> Once a cheater, always a cheater. You know, once bitten, twice shy. All those cynical things we say reveal in us sometimes a sense of entitlement rather than a sense of wonder. Whatever instead of wow. 
So that's what we're talking about uh, with this whole series. And uh, I hope that you're being honest with yourself and, uh, and with God as we get into this today. <clears throat> the truth is, it's impossible to really live a life, I think. Nah, I don't want to say impossible. That's a stretch. There are people who live a life devoid of any wonder whatsoever. They're called absurdists. Absurdism is a philosophy that is basically says that everything that is was never meant to be. There is no plan, no, no purpose, no design, no meaning, other than whatever meaning you can create yourself. It's a temporary meaning. It's an illusion. You know, everything's an illusion. Everything's absurd. Nothing matters or means anything. If you're not an absurdist, there's really no way to live without wonder because the human organism is pre-wired for wonder and awe. You're going to be in wonder before something. And the choice is yours. There's really two choices in, in, in terms of you know, writ large. There's two choices about how to express the wonder for which you're pre-wired and predisposed. And, and the two choices are these. these. You, you can either live in search of wonder in created things, or you can live finding your sense of wonder in the creator. Now, most of us, most of the time, if we're honest, are doing more of the former than the latter. Most of us are living in search of wonder via created things. So we're seeking to satiate that appetite, to quench that thirst for wonder and awe that we're hardwired for in created things like food and drink and uh, socializing and love, romance, sex, relationships, status symbols, houses, cars, whatever, careers, accomplishments. That's the created stuff that we seek wonder in. The problem with seeking wonder in created things is that it never satisfied, satisfies you because created things are not meant or built to satisfy that hunger for wonder. They're not made for that, but we look for it there. How many of you stuffed your faces on Thursday? Be honest, show of hands. I'm gonna raise both because I did it twice. Anybody do it twice? Come back for dinner, right? <clears throat> or for that late night snack, just reload up on everything you did to your body earlier in the day. After the second round of leftovers, leftovers are so much better than the first round, by the way. Turkey and ham and giblet gravy and dressing or stuffing or whatever you call it and the, <clears throat> and the, the, uh, the cranberry sauce, but not the fresh kind with the berries in it, the can kind of look, 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 look. that's thanksgiving to me all right look, 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 look. I just love it i love it so much all the pies and everything that we eat mashed potatoes purple whole peas all of it and, and you know what i said after i got through my second plate and all the leftovers were gone i said oh i'm stuffed i don't think i'm gonna eat a thing tomorrow does anyone here believe that that happened? <laughs> that Pastor Eric fasted on Black Friday? Does anyone believe? Does anyone ever do that? I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat for a week. What? Really? You're going to eat breakfast tomorrow. Because, and it's going to be bacon and biscuits. You know, like, because food, even the best food, even the most food, doesn't satisfy for very long. It doesn't even satisfy for a day. But when we, when we pursue it, it's almost like we think it will. And the same is true with the other stuff 
that we pursue. We spend our lives chasing that stuff. We tell ourselves, either quietly or out in the open, that when we, bless you, when we get to that place, when we turn that corner, when we have that thing or that person or that relationship or that many kids or whatever, then we'll be happy. Then we'll be fully us. When we turn that corner, we'll be happy. And so we spend our lives chasing that thing. Some of us just delay that gratification either because we can't afford what we want or it's not time in our lives to have what we want or we haven't met the right person. And then we finally get that thing that we've been fixated on. We finally get that thing we've been wanting and waiting, delaying our happiness for this thing. And then when we have the thing, we discover the most terrifying truism known to man. You know what it is? That wanting that thing was way better than having it. Have you ever experienced that? It is the emptiest feeling in the universe. That feeling that having this thing didn't change anything. It didn't feel as good as I imagined it feeling for all those years as I chased it. At least while I was chasing it, I felt a sense of wonder and exhilaration about it. But having it is different. When you wanted it, you felt a rush. and <clears throat> You had this sense of awe. When you have it, all you have is like bills and stuff. <laughs> like you got to pay for it. You got to protect it. You got to insure it. You got to maintain it, you know? And it's all this responsibility and all this pressure all of a sudden, and it doesn't make you as happy <clears throat> as you thought that it might. It doesn't stop us from looking for happiness or fulfillment of that wonder in created things. And it's just madness what we do. And if it's madness from our perspective, imagine how maddening it must look from God's perspective. I mean, I thank God he's not as petty as we are about stuff. Because if, if people thanked me, like imagining like if I were the giver of stuff, and people thanked me as little as people thank God... I'd be having some vengeance. <laughs> I wouldn't take it as well as God seems to. But God's not as petty as me. You get it? So if imagine you planned a vacation for your whole family or for your friends or whatever, a big group of people, and you were really out over your skis on this one. You were spending way more time than you should, spending way, way too much money on these people, and you wanted them to have the vacation of a lifetime. You wanted them to have the experience they would never forget, and so you put your whole self into this vacation, and, and you plan the best getaway spots, the best hotels, the nicest restaurants, and you paid for it all because you didn't want them to have to worry about money. You just wanted them to come and enjoy themselves. And finally, the time for the trip arrives. First class tickets on the plane. You get to go somewhere you've never been before. Everybody enjoys themselves. It's just total pleasure and relaxation for, let's say, a month. And everybody just basks in the glow of it. And the last day finally arrives. You know, the last night of just the trip of a lifetime, there's just all this this, this bittersweet, you know, joy in the room, just like, man, what did we just experience? It was just awesome, and you're all sitting together around a fire that you built together, and your faces are glowing with relaxation and joy, and, and you know that the moment is coming that everybody around the circle is going to share their gratitude. And this, you feel like, this is what you've been waiting for. You've been waiting for them to acknowledge you in some way. And they start sharing their words of gratitude 
for this trip. But instead of thanking you, they thank the trip. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I, just, I just really want to thank this trip for the trip. And it's just, this trip has changed my life. I feel like this trip loves me, and I love this trip. You know, like, can you imagine how irrational that would be? Like, if you were a petty person like me, like, how upsetting would that be to you? We're not that far from that sometimes. Imagine sitting at a restaurant and having the meal of your life at some James Beard award-winning chef's restaurant, and, and this chef pours years, decades of expertise into every dish he puts in front of you every single detail is given attention. And your taste buds are just sent into orbit and you're, you devour the last bite of the last dish that he puts in front of you and you're just, your head is spinning. It's just amazing. The wine and the food, everything went together and you're just blown away and you tell the waiter to go, waiter, server, come over and, and you say, this foie gras was impeccable. And I'd like to send my compliments to the duck. You know, like, can you imagine? Thanking a duck? This duck was delicious, and I just wanted to tell the duck. The duck is dead. It's inside of you. You know, like, what are we talking about? But we're not that far from it when we sit around thanking the universe for things. Or praying to the universe or sending positive vibes people's way. Or thanking Mother Earth for giving you stuff. It's not your mother. It's a created thing. It's a thing. It's a thing God made and wired in such a way that it yields gifts for you. But the earth is a medium. It's a mediator. It's a middle thing. God is the one who gives the gifts. But if you thank the thing for the gift, you miss the point. And that's often what we do. We mix up the created stuff with the creator. We mix up the gifts with the gift giver. And in doing that, I think we put ourselves in a pretty dangerous place. I, uh, I don't want to get too dark on a morning where we're celebrating Elisa and everything, but actually, uh, she's already shared her dark struggle with us. And if you can imagine standing up here singing for joy to God, singing... I believe in you, I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. After going through what she went through on that video, you saw the loss of her child, the loss of her dad. I believe in you, I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. Where does that come from? It comes from acknowledging God as the giver of all good things and not mixing up creator with creation. What happens when we mix up creator with creation, the only logical end of directing our wonder and awe at created things is humanism at best and absurdism at worst. And that really is sort of this dangerous slippery slope where you start to wonder if, uh, you know, this stuff just is and these, this earth just gives me stuff and I don't 
know where it comes from, but it, it's just I'm grateful. I don't know who I'm grateful to, but m maybe um, you know you, you start to wonder if anything really means anything at all, and you get to that place where maybe life uh, on the whole is just a little bit of a happy accident, and maybe there's no deeper meaning or plan or purpose or will behind the universe, and you end up in that place where Albert Camus, who is uh, one of the leading thinkers of the absurdist movement, <laughs> He starts his book, or his essay, The Myth of Sisyphus, by asking a simple question. What keeps us all from just killing ourselves? <laughs> There's no plan or purpose or will or God. Then why go on living? What's the meaning behind it all? I don't think anybody here is necessarily that close to that kind of... Uh, feeling, maybe you are, I don't know. I just know that's where uh, mixing up creator and created things can get us. The choice to live with gratitude leads your heart down the path of wonder. Gratitude properly directed to the giver and not the gift leads your heart to a sense of awe before the reality that you've been given all these things you never asked for or even knew you wanted until you had them. And that sense of awe leads you to relationship with the giver. Wonder is not a word you'll find very often in the Bible, but wonder is all through the Bible. In fact, the Bible is really a story about that choice between directing your wonder at created things or directing your wonder at God. You can probably imagine, if you went to vacation Bible school years ago even, how many stories involve that choice, going back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the forbidden fruit. Where do we direct our wonder? <clears throat> But wonder is most clearly seen, I think, in this phrase that is often repeated in Scripture over a hundred times it appears, the fear of the Lord. Like this proverb, <clears throat> Proverbs uh, 9.10, I believe we have. we have that on the screen. Yeah, Proverbs 9.10, <clears throat> which says, famously, you probably heard it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This phrase, fear of the Lord, confuses a lot of people, especially if you're a skeptic and not sure about the Bible. You've heard Christians say, fear the Lord. And you're like, what? What kind of... What kind of weird cult is this? Like, why, why do I have to be afraid of God? And if you really know the Bible, then you know that the most oft-repeated command in Scripture is have no fear. So it seems contradictory. Have no fear, have no fear, have no fear, have no fear. Fear me! You know, like, it just seems like it contradicts. But the fear of the Lord is an entirely different concept than the fear of created things and the fear of people. The fear of the Lord doesn't induce in us the same fight or flight response. When you know the fear of the Lord, you don't hate him or flee him. You don't want to attack him or run away from him. The fear of the Lord draws you in. It's the beginning of wisdom and you want more of it. And so it causes you to tremble. The closer you get to God's wisdom, you tremble a little bit more because you realize how high and mighty and awesome he is. But you draw near. You don't pull back. This is a fear. One author that I read this week called it an affiliative fear. It affiliates you more to God. You want more of God. You desire him more. And you walk toward him in fear and trembling. Uh, King David wrote about this same kind of thing when he expressed his wonder before God's creation 
For King David, creation was a sign of the character of God. And so King David wrote in the Psalms, Psalm uh, 8, verse 3 and 4, King David said, when I consider your heavens, so David is looking out at the skies. Have you ever done this? This is hard to do in Houston. You got to get out of the city to do this. Uh, there's a little bit of cloud cover and, and all the lights and everything, and smog and everything. It just kind of is harder here. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, the constellations which you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Have you been there? In that place, in David's shoes, standing under the stars, in awe of it all, and not just in awe of created things for created things' sake, but in awe of the one who must have made all of this? Listen. If the universe is vast, if the universe overcomes you, if the universe's size is incomprehensible, imagine the one who made it. Listen, if pleasure is good and love compels you to lay your life down for the beloved and romance sets your heart on fire and uh, erotic Pleasure is, is overwhelming to you and, and it just, your soul is enraptured with the love you feel for this person. If all of that is real, imagine how rapturous is the one who invented it. Imagine how good and delightful and joyful and wondrous and pleasurable is the one who invented all those things. If he created it, imagine how wonderful he must be. Look at the creation around you and ask yourself, not about the creation, ask yourself about the one who made it. What a wonder it is to live in a world like this. What a wonder it is to live with hearts like these, to have minds like these that can conceive of wonder. Wonder is what sets us apart as human beings when you lose the ability to wonder you lose part of who you're created to be. The high and mighty King David had it all. He was his own man. He was in charge of his own realm and destiny. And he shrunk before the mystery of creation and the creator. And he didn't stop there. His wonder and awe before creation led him to wonder at his own creation. He says later in the Psalm, Psalm 139, says, you have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Think about that. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. <laughs> you knit me together in my mother's womb. It just feels so right because there is this process of life that happens this spark that grows within a, a mother's body that is impossible to explain or replicate outside of that process. Uh, when we had Dr. Tour uh, here for our Maybe God podcast live event, which the episode was released this week, if you don't listen to Maybe God podcast, please do. Maybe God podcast is uh, uh, the, the podcast here of the story. Myself and Julie and others uh, work hard on it. 
And our first Maybe God Live episode was released with Dr. Tour, who is a world-renowned scientist. And I was asking him about some of these issues that we have talking to skeptics about God and the miraculous because skeptics believe that only things that are explainable can really happen. And uh, I asked him about that conflict. As a man of science, how can he explain miracles? And he says, science has nothing to do with miracles. Existence is miracle enough for me to believe in miracles. He said, take the resurrection, for example. A lot of people struggle with the resurrection. Resurrection is nothing for a God who made stuff to begin with. Resurrection's easier. You've got all the materials right there, he said. It's way easier than creating from scratch. And this is nothing that we can even do. Like we, Scientists think we know everything. They know everything about biology, but they can't create it. They make robots from plastic and rubber and wire but not this. And he looked out at the crowd and he said, you go home and try to make one of these. (laughs) Only God. And we live our lives drifting from one stimulus to the next, from one relationship to the next, from one status symbol to the next, from one Instagram post to the next, from one vacation to the next, in search of uh, satisfaction uh, for this appetite called wonder. Friends, the appetite is real. But hear me when I tell you, you will never find its end in created things. But when you direct that wonder and that awe toward God, creator, and you choose to see these created things as signs of his wonder and his glory and his power, you'll find happening to you what happened to Dr. Tour and what happened to LJ. (laughs) And both of them are kind of cut from the same cloth. They both bounce into a room. Even though one of them is a world-renowned scientist, top 50 in the world, one of them is a multi-million dollar architect, you know, here in the city. Uh, You know, I I myself, I want to be that way too, and I'm just some preacher who used to be an atheist. Listen, when you direct your wonder properly, when God is the object of your wonder and your awe, you become like a kid on Christmas morning every day. Because everything induces within you a wow response. Because everything is a gift. And if these gifts have been so good, imagine how good is the one who gave them. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your gifts. Help us in our hectic lives to pause and give thanks for them. God, to focus our wonder and awe, not on created things, but on you. To see every gift as a sign from you, that you want relationship with us. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.